So um, this morning we are continuing our um, trek, our journey through the book of Ruth. Um, today we're going we're gonna to actually nail down all of chapter 3 of, of Ruth. It's going to be, um, it's, it's somewhat of a short chapter, it's 18 verses, um, but there's a lot, um, again, every turn something uh, something good is going on, something glorious is going on. Up to this point in our series through the book of Ruth, um, we'll be in chapter 3, by the way, if you want to go ahead and, and get there. Uh, but up to this point, the storyline has been uh, primarily about two people, two ladies, Naomi uh, and Ruth. Her, that's, that was Naomi's daughter-in-law, and they've, they've moved back to Bethlehem. They were, were um, in the land of Moab for what looks to be about 10 or so years. Elimelech, who is... Um, who is Ruth's, I mean, is, is Naomi's husband. They, they sojourned there. They immigrated to this place because of a famine that was going on in Jerusalem. Um, and and uh, their two sons went along with them. Whenever they got to the land of Moab, their two sons took Moabite women as wives for them. And uh, their, their son, Elimelech, had passed on, and, and then their, uh, their two sons had passed on, leaving Naomi and her two daughter-in-laws. And so now um, Naomi and Ruth have, have uh, moved back to Bethlehem, um, and they, they, they've been gone for roughly 10 years. And again, they, were in, they, were, they left Bethlehem due to a famine. They heard that the harvest was coming along, so that sounds like the famine was ending. And so they're going back to Jerusalem. At this point, ironically, now Ruth becomes the, the immigrant, the, the foreigner in that place. Uh, she was a Moabite woman. Now she's in a whole new, new place, um, which is important. And it's very, uh, uh, just beautiful in the story uh, as it continues to unfold for us. Uh, when she's there, when they get back to Bethlehem, Ruth says she's going to go out. I'm going to leave the house. I'm going to go find some work. We need to try to uh, find some food to survive. It's just these two widowed women. Um, and, and in this context, that would have been a very vulnerable situation that they would have been in. And so Ruth uh, goes out, and as she does, she meets this guy. Who's, his name is uh, Boaz. And by the way, not Ruth, right? It's Boaz and Ruth. Okay. Okay. We started calling everybody. I think we, we, we come up with Blashley last week. Um, a couple other names, we just, we're just going to combine those. Uh, we had a good time last week. That was good. I appreciate that. Uh, I'll see what else I can mess up today. I'll, butcher, I'll, I'll join in the fun with you. Um, and so what, what we end up learning is after this season that Ruth and Naomi have been experiencing, which was this unimaginable grief, uh, this, this brokenness, this, this loss, um, that Naomi and Ruth, as they, as they, go, back to, uh, as they go back to Bethlehem, um, and Ruth goes out into the, uh, into the fields to find work, and she runs into this guy Boaz, is that they begin to receive unusual kindness, unusual favor from the heart and from the hand of Boaz. Uh, he went above and beyond what he was required to do by law to see that these women were cared for, that they were taken care of. And so I'm gonna, uh, we're just going to kind of read sections of the, um, of, of the entire chapter, and we're going to stop along the way and just talk about these sections. And so if you want to follow along with me, I'm going to start in verse 1 of uh, Ruth chapter 3. It says, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you, you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the, men, to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. 
But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, and then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. Um, There's music playing in the background somewhere I'm hearing it. Yeah, it's messing me all up. (laughs) Um, So marriage proposals... Um, are becoming ever increasingly clever today. I've shared, I, did, I think I've shared with you guys um, the, the, the proposal that I made to Ashley and just how jacked up that was. That was just, there was nothing right about that. I'm not going to go into the story. I'll catch you afterwards. We'll catch you up. But it was just like there was a male stripper involved in that that I didn't have anything to do with. No lie. I'm not joking. This, that, was, that was something that was going on in the room at the time, not, not basically associated with what we, what we had going on. But it was just kind of weird. It was, it was just a bad, bad time to, to, to do that. Um, but there's, there's, they're becoming more and more clever, right? People are being more thoughtful about it. Um, I can remember Josh, uh, you did a really good job. Uh, there were uh, law enforcement involved. There were handcuffs and people getting thrown in the back of police cars and people crying. And like, it was just a wonderful thing to see that. <laughs> I appreciate that. I'll never forget that one. Um, like if you can get law enforcement involved in your stuff, man, you're doing good. Um, but here's one you don't see every day, right? You look at this story and how, how Naomi is laying this plan out. Here's, here's how we're going to do this. And it seems a bit weird, right? Now, I'm no pessimist, but like at first glance, when I look at this, uh, man, this, some, this could go wrong. This could go terribly wrong uh, if this doesn't work out uh, the, the right way and the way Naomi's hoping it's going to work out. We have, we have Ruth, right? And Naomi's saying, here's what you're going to do. You're going to creep up on Boaz while he's asleep, right? You're just going to, you know, in, in the middle of the night, lay down at his feet, and then we're going to wait and see what happens when he wakes up. Like, that's... That's, that's a recipe for disaster. I, I mean, like, I, I can tell you how I would respond if I woke up in the middle of the night and there was this, like, strange girl sitting on the floor in the dark just, like, staring at me. Like, listen, now, I love Jesus, but I can't promise you all the words that's going to come out of my mouth when if I see that, right? Like, this is going to freak me out. And Naomi sets up this proposal idea, right, with this, 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 this idea, this plan that she has um, and we're not even really sure if that was standard practice or not. Scripture doesn't tell us like that's the normal way to for a woman to kind of approach a man to let him know that she's she's like you know interested in possibly marrying him. Like that's not prescribed anywhere in Scripture. We don't see that anywhere. Um, but she sets up this di- this idea of this proposal. And what we do know, and, and what for me just kind of we're really just going to lead our entire time is how the how the chapter opened up. If you remember when we just read verse 1, what was Naomi's desire for Ruth? She wanted to find Ruth some rest, right? She wanted to find Naomi, she wanted to find Ruth some, some rest. That's what she was seeking. And, then, and, and the rest, the kind of rest that Naomi was seeking for Ruth was marriage, was a stable home. Like that's the kind of, some, some long-term rest because she wasn't going to get it Otherwise, and so this is what Naomi, this is how the chapter opens up for us. An unprotected widow is extremely vulnerable. Ruth was going to continue to become more and more vulnerable as time went on. And you add to that the fact that she's not even 
from Bethlehem. She's an immigrant into that area, and that just compounds the issue. She's a, she's a woman who is living by herself in a culture who just really discarded women in general, looked at them as, as less than human. And then on top of that, uh, she's not in her hometown. She's not in hometown. She's a stranger. She has, she has sojourned to this place. And so Naomi's desire is to see Ruth married, right? And that's a good desire. She wanted Ruth to have rest for her soul. And one of the things that Joey taught us last week about this guy, Boaz, is, is like he's, he's more than just a relative to Naomi, right? He's a redeemer. And that's an important part of this story. That's an important part of what God is doing here. He's part of the family line of Naomi's deceased husband, Elimelech. And you, you, given this under uh, Jewish custom, the Jewish, Jewish laws, Boaz was eligible to marry Ruth. Um, in, in order to produce offspring uh, for her deceased husband. And that was, uh, that was how family lines and inheritances, inheritances were kept intact, uh, was, was through this process of family redemption. And so Boaz is a redeemer. So not only is this guy just showing just unusual favor to these, to these widowed women, but in fact he is a redeemer who can give them long-term rest, can, can give them long-term stability. So Naomi's care for Ruth, that's exactly what it's about. It's about long-term solution. It's like looking ahead and saying, you need some long-term stability in this situation. So she tells Ruth, hey, clean yourself up, right? Brush your hair, take a bath, put some perfume on, get that smell off of you. Get yourself real dolled up, right? Go down to the threshing floor, and, and I, I wanted to spend a lot of time just talking about the importance of the threshing floor because for a woman to go down into the threshing floor is just her presence there is communicating something to Boaz. But so she goes down into the threshing floor to wait for Boaz to fall asleep. Don't bother him while he's eating and drinking and, 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 and let him fall asleep. And when he falls asleep, uncover his feet and lay down next to his uncovered feet. Like, if you're looking for a creative way to propose, this is probably not going to hit the top ten list on YouTube, right? Like, so you, this is kind of weird, right? And it seems weird, but what I want us to focus on is, is the, what, what I believe God wants us to focus on in this text is this unpredictable situation that Ruth is in now, right? If she does this, if she goes forth with this, remember, there's no telling how this is going to shake up. There's no telling what's going what's gonna to come of all of this. Like, so you just think about Ruth as she's listening to Naomi, right? Okay, you want me to do this and this and this? You remember, she's, she's a Moabite woman. These things all seem really weird to her. She's like, oh, okay, well, if this is how you people roll, then this is what I'm going to do. And so she, she does this, and I want us to focus on that, the fact that Ruth is probably stepping out and there's a little bit of fear about how this is all going to play out. Right? You think about that. She's heading off into the night. She's going to follow Naomi's suggestions about how to do this. And so she's, again, I think Ruth is just showing some, some unusual courage 
right? I mean, the story opened with her saying, I'm going with you. You're my people. Your God is my God. I'm going wherever you go. And then when she gets there, she says, hey, look, I'm going out into the, the unknown place. I'm not from here. I don't know anybody here, but I'm going out because we need to survive. Use courage, just courageous steps that she's been taking. And now she's listening to this crazy plan that Naomi has to go and, and to make herself basically available to this redeemer that's in their family. And it sounds like a crazy plan, but she's like, Okay, you want to do this, this, this. Okay, got it. Right? So she's, just think of her, her courage uh, to follow through with these commands that she's getting from Naomi. One of the things I believe that, that Ruth is still learning at this point, remember, she's a new believer in this God, Yahweh. Right? She comes from a pagan people. She was, she was uh, cultured in pagan worship. And so she's, she's new to this whole Yahweh, this faith in this, this Israelite God. And so she's learning some things about this, right? Hey, to follow this God, it requires risk. I feel like I've been taking risk every step of the way. And so she's continuing to learn that, right? That this is, this, this is different. This is taking risk. This is stepping out into unknown places. And that's what it takes to follow this Yahweh God. Isn't that, isn't that cool to see that? This situation in particular um, meant that she was being obedient even when the outcome was full of uncertainties. Like she could not possibly predict how this is going to play out. But she trusts this God. She trusts that up to this point, the providence of this God has been so favorable on her that she's going to continue to walk in obedience. And so she's stepping into this risky situation. She's trusting Naomi's guidance for her rest. Remember, that's where, that's where all this begins. Naomi is seeking rest for Ruth. And in verse 6 we see, so she went down to the threshing floor. So she's doing the things that Naomi had asked her to do. The plan is being laid out now. And, and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, Who are you? She answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight. And in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. And so Ruth arrives at the threshing floor to carry out the plan. She arrives there and she meets up with a, what scripture says, a merry Boaz. And you kind of read that and I think a lot of us probably already tend to say, well, he was drunk, right? He was kind of getting down with the boys that night, and, and now he's going to crash. But really what that word Mary means is he's, he's satisfied. He's content. He has eaten until he is satisfied. Um, and that's the proper way to interpret Mary there. And so um, I, I also want to point out in verse 8, for those of you who don't think the Bible has some humor involved in it, uh, it's Boaz falls asleep, right? He is satisfied, and he wakes up in the middle of the night. And the Bible says he was startled, <laughs> It's almost like they're being sarcastic. You don't think he was startled a little bit? Like, 
No kidding, man. He was afraid, right? And after Boaz realizes he's not going to die of a heart attack, like he, he kind of gets his composure, there's this beautiful exchange that takes place, this beautiful exchange of requests and promises that happen between he and Ruth. In verse 9, he said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Now I want you to recall in chapter 2 the prayer that Boaz had prayed over Ruth, whenever he met her for the first time, in chapter 2, verse 12, he says, The Lord repay you for what you've done. And he was referring to how she has stuck side by side and committed herself to Naomi. He says, The Lord repay you for what you've done, and a full reward be given, given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And so we see Ruth here in this, in this now this narrative that's going on on the threshing floor is that she's, she's actually requesting for Boaz to answer that prayer that he prayed over her, right? He's saying she, she, she's making that request, and she, she also puts herself... Uh, in, in, the, in the role of one of Boaz's servants now, right? And you saw in chapter 2, she's like, I'm not even one of your servants. I'm not, I don't even belong to you. And you're showing some, this unusual kindness to me. And now here in chapter 3, she's putting herself in that role. I am your servant. That humility, that, that, that lowliness that, she, that, that she's been walking in. And I don't want you to miss, in, in, in the midst of all that, her boldness. How bold she's being in this moment. She's made a bold request. And not only that, but she's freestyling a little bit. Because you remember, like, the instructions were very clear about what Naomi told her to go do. And then she, she does those things, and Naomi just said, you just sit at his feet and just wait and see how he responds. And when he wakes up, she starts making these requests that weren't even instructed by Naomi. And Boaz, he's not disappointed by this. He's not, like, just put out by this. He's impressed. Like, you see how he responds. Like, he's impressed. He's still just kind of stunned by her commitment to just continue to be faithful, to walk with Naomi, and just to, 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 to not follow the desires of her flesh, but to stick by the commitment that she made to Naomi. She's, he's impressed by her reputation, right? This is a strange woman. She's a widowed woman. Uh, her, now her, her reputation and her name is being built up in the community. He's saying, like, all the people in the town, like, they consider you a worthy woman. And so he's impressed by that. He's impressed by her faithfulness, her integrity. He's impressed by her humility. And so it seems like now we've kind of got to this hallmark ending of the story, Right? We're like, man, okay, finally, it's been just kind of really bad up to this point, man. It's really been uh, hard for Naomi and for Ruth, and we've been seeing God just kind of show up in these, these different places um, and, and doing crazy things and in his providence. And so now we finally get to the place where everybody's happy, man. Like, the plan worked. Ruth is going to, she's been promised a redeemer now, and so Boaz is just the, like the right guy. And then there's this twist. There's, this, there's these, these complexities that, that, that's in the plan that now need to be hashed out. And there's someone that's even more eligible to marry Ruth than Boaz is. And he makes this beautiful promise to Ruth right there in that moment. He says, if he's not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. So, the reason that's such a beautiful promise is because at this point, what we know is that Ruth will be redeemed. 
It may or may not be with Boaz, but at this point, there's been a commitment that Ruth will now be redeemed. And so she steps out on faith, man. She steps out on faith. She makes this bold request, and she will indeed have a redeemer. And her desires remain to be in the good place, right? Because her desire was to be redeemed. Verse 14 says, So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it out. And he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. And then she went into the city, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? And then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Boaz sends Ruth home early in the morning um, so that no one would notice her. And he does this uh, specifically to protect her integrity, to protect that reputation, uh, to, pr- to protect her honor. Um, that, that was his way to do that. Remember, they've done nothing wrong, and so they're not trying to hide anything. She still maintains her integrity. He still maintains his. He wants this thing to go well. He's protecting her. He's leading her uh, in, in a good place. And he loads her up with grain. Like he sends her home with food, lots and lots of food. And it's almost as if Boaz, the way she kind of puts it, lays it out, it's almost as if he had to convince her to take it. When she was telling her mother-in-law, like, he told me that I can't go back empty-handed, as if he was having to kind of convince her, no, 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 take this back to your mother-in-law. And that's interesting because you consider how this narrative opened up at the very beginning. You consider... When Naomi rolled back into town and all the other people started kind of chattering and, and, and saying, hey, Naomi, you're back in town. What's going on, you know? And the way she responds in verse, uh, tr- chapter 1, verse 21, she, she tells them, I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. You see, Naomi still got a little bit of bitterness about her. That's how she responded, and that's when she told him, I'm bitter. And now you can see that God begins filling Naomi's emptiness, right? He begins filling her emptiness, and it's not just to do with food, right? It's not just about that. He's, he's filling her emptiness with this boldness that Ruth is stepping out on, this courage that she has to make these requests to Boaz, and then the chapter would end with this. In verse 18, now all you have to do, Ruth, is Wait. All you have to do is wait. You've done everything that was instructed, Ruth. You followed every step, and now you just have to wait. And as a, at a pretty quick glance of chapter 3 here in Ruth, um, what, what do you make of all of that? That's a quick run through chapter 3. What do you make of all of that? Naomi comes out of the gate, right? In chapter 3, she comes out of the gate, and her heart is to seek rest for Ruth. Her, her heart is to seek rest, and she sends her on this crazy manhunt to find it. And that's how the chapter is opening up. And, and so, okay, well, what do these verses imply to us then, right? And I think, the, I think the overarching theme is rest. I think that's what Naomi's going after, and I think that's what God goes after for every one of us. Rest. That's what she was seeking in this moment. And, and, and listen, if I were a gambling man, I would bet that every single person in this room is looking for a little bit of rest. Like, 
I, I would... I don't think anybody is going to say, no, man, like this, this chaos, this, this space that I'm in right now, this current disorder that I'm in, man, this is my place. This is where I like to be. Like, I don't know if any one of us just kind of are going to say that and say, this is, what I, this is where I enjoy to be. But we're all just kind of looking for, for rest. And, and I know that about us because that's just how mankind rolls. That's, that's how we roll. And, and I, so I think that for everyone, we're seeking rest and what does this passage have to say about the rest that we seek then, right? What does it say about what I'm seeking? She wasn't going looking for grain, was she? She wasn't going looking for another field to, to glean in, was she? She was looking for a redeemer. And when we look at Ruth's life, and particularly in this passage, what we learn is that, hey man, following this God includes taking like godly risk like that's what we learn in that like if we want rest our soul is searching for that rest it's going to require us to take godly risk it's what's going to take like you see Ruth man she stepped out courageously she stepped out in courage and even though it made no sense to her what she was doing this was a this was a risk and it and it took courage to do it and so how do you understand the Christian life like, in your, in your understanding of what Scripture says, how do you understand the Christian life? Like, do you understand uh, and have you been taught that following God, like, it requires you to have courage? Like, have you been taught that? Is that how you understand the Christian life to be? Like, even when you don't know wh- how things will turn out? And most of my experience, I, what I see is, when God opens the doors for us to kind of take a courageous step through it, like our first reaction is to hesitate. Like that's just our natural response to that. Well, hold on. Let me think about this. Let me calculate some things. What will happen if I do that? And we try to think through the outcomes because here's the deal. Every one of us, we want a guaranteed outcome, don't we? We want a guaranteed outcome. We want to know that if I do this, this better happen. Otherwise, I'm not going to do that. And so following Yahweh God that we see Ruth doing here, it takes a little bit of courage. It takes risk, and you have to be willing to do it. And if this is you, if you're that person who's like, man, I just, Blake, I can't do it. I don't have that kind of faith, man. I'm just not that courageous to take that step because I need to know what the outcome is. Can I ask you a question? Whose outcome are you concerned with? Like, when you think about that, whose outcome are you looking for? Because I want to I just maybe put it in your newsflash ticker. Like, not all of your desired outcomes are going to sync up with God's desired outcomes for you. They're not always going to line up. Everything that you want to happen in your life is usually not the way God's going to want it to happen in your life. A lot of times you're going to find yourself wrestling with God to try to make those things become His desires when they're really not. This is not usually how it goes in Scripture. If you look all throughout Scripture, and I'm going to tell you, man, the minute you start really taking steps of faith, not knowing what's on the other side of that step, you're going to continue to hold your plans a lot looser because you're going to realize that they don't line up with God's plans. But you will never know that and you'll never experience that if you're always operating out of the mode of, if I do X, Y must happen. 
You're never going to experience the, 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 the full um, um, glory of God whenever you are always trying to control your outcome and control your own situation. Stepping out in courage like this, it means surrendering yourself to the mercy and to the grace of God. It's saying, God, I'm yours. I'm surrendering myself to you. I'm taking steps of faith. I'm going to be courageous in these steps, and I'm going to trust you. And this is what Ruth is running off of right now. This is the fuel for Ruth right now. It's the favor and mercy and grace of God that is driving her. And God will equip you with the courage to step into the unknowns of your life. He will give you the courage to do that because the reality is the unknowns are known to him. He knows the unknowns. You may not, but he does. And so he's going to give you the grace and the courage to step into these places. And when I say this, I realize that some of you in the room, you guys are like entrepreneurs and you're risk takers and you're thinking, man, yeah, like I, I heard a word today, man. I got a word from God today and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go do that thing. I'm going to finally commit to doing that hard thing that, that's going to probably cost me a lot, but God's been calling me to do it. But when I say step out and courage, and when I say take godly risk, I'm not necessarily talking about the big grand plans, although that very well may be the case for you. I'm talking about waking up every day I'm talking about engaging in all of the ordinary things in your life that still take courage. Marriage. Wake up every day and take a step knowing that that's, that's a courageous step, even though things may or may not be just so in my marriage, right? Having the courage to do that. Parenting. Doing the right thing when it's just hard and difficult and unpopular. It takes courage to do that in your career. I'm going to do the things even though it's just really difficult to work for this guy or to work with that person. I'm going to work as unto the Lord even though it just doesn't feel right to me. In your ministries, the way you serve God. Everyday, ordinary things that take courage. Roads that we walk down every day that can be painful, that can be uncertain. It takes courage to walk down those roads. The ordinary stuff, things that don't go well all the time, things that hurt sometimes. It takes steps of courage to walk towards those ordinary, everyday things, and they require just as much of God's mercy. They require just as much of God's grace as does these big once-in-a-lifetime ideas that may or may not work, that you may or may not be thinking about. And so taking godly risk is, is how we follow God. Taking, God, taking godly risk... Um, it, it, you see how, how that happened for Ruth, how she started choosing the right things, choosing the good things, right? That's what she was asking for, asking for, for, for God for more of him instead of more of his blessing, right? She wasn't going saying, hey, we need some more grain. We need, we're, we're running low, and we need a little bit more food. That's not what she went for. And it takes boldness to ask God for God. It takes boldness. Psalm 42, the psalmist said, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you. Not your stuff, God. My soul longs for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. With everything that the psalmist might need, he might have tons of material needs in his life. What does he go for? He goes for God because God is the source of everything that you truly need. Everything that you need. Yes, lay your supplications before the Lord. Just lay it all out and ask God for the things that you feel like you need. And remember that what you think you're going to get from those requests are ultimately fulfilled in Him. And that's why the psalmist is asking for more of God. That's why we get this, this picture of Ruth going to Boaz and saying, I don't, 
I'm not looking for your grain. I need, I need you. I need redemption. And so she's asking for the right things. And then one of the most riskiest things that you can do as you follow this Yahweh God is wait. That's, that's the most, listen, the, the cursed W word that we all hate, right? To wait. And that's how the chapter would end. After all of this, the, the chapter closes with Ruth just having to wait. Let's, let's see how this thing goes. And sometimes, listen to me, when you're praying for God's yes or you're praying for God's no, sometimes his answer is just wait. And that's his answer. And we have to be okay with God. God, you answered me. I'll wait. And that's the hardest place to be. But this is the place where God causes our faith to flourish. This is where he waters our souls. This is where he strengthens our, our, our lives in him. The proverb says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And Ruth had to wait. And she didn't know what was going to happen. She didn't know how this thing was going to roll. But she trusted God. She trusted him, and he calls us to wait in the same way. She wasn't just merely just waiting, right? There was this hopeful waiting. There was a promise made to her. And although it hadn't, shown, like it hadn't come to fruition at that moment, she was waiting with hope because a promise had been made, a promise that she would be redeemed. And so she's waiting. And the hope that of, of the promise from Boaz and, and, and waiting is, is, is good for you and it's good for me. It can expose our hurriedness, right? When, when God has us in this pattern of waiting, it exposes our wanting to kind of have immediate response to our request. It exposes our untrustworthiness in God. Because a lot of times in our waiting, we will kind of step out of the, of the will of God and try to grab, grab on to things and control the situations rather than sit there and let God cause us to flourish, cause Him to build up our faith. Because here's the deal. Like, I can trust God when things are easy, man. When things are going my way, when things are just rolling just how I would hope they would roll, I trust God. Man, he's just rolling along, man. God's taking care of me, and really what he's doing uh, is, is um, allowing me to just think, that, think more highly of myself. And, and our prayer always needs to be, God, would you humble me? Would you break me under your word? And, and, and the, the, the true test of, of trusting God, of faith in him, is are we trusting him in the waiting? Are we trusting him in that spot? Are we, are we able to wait well? How well are you waiting in, in whatever season he might have you. And Ruth has a redeemer who's promised to settle her matters, right? And that, that's, what the, that's what the text said. He will settle your matter. And so she has this promise. And what, what I believe God wants to show us in this word today is, like, do you believe, do you have the faith in God? Do you believe he's good enough to settle your matter? Do you believe that he's good enough and that he's faithful enough and that he's trustworthy enough to settle your matters, whatever matter you find yourself in? Because here's the deal. Most of the time, listen, most of the time, he settles your matters in those long, painful, agonizing seasons of waiting. That's where he settles them. It's, it's, it's very rare that he does it in those immediate moments where, God, I need this, and you just provide that. God, I need this, and you just provide that. A lot of times his answer is not yes or no, but wait. And that's what he's asking 
here. And I bet some of you wish that you went to a church some days where they told you that everything was awesome all the time, right? And, and, and a lot of times we're sitting up here saying, no, 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 this is what the Word of God says. It's a struggle to follow in. It's not always unicorns and rainbows every day, and, and you're not as awesome as you think you are. When it comes to the holiness of God, you're terrible. I'm terrible. Thank God we have Jesus. Thank God in His mercy and grace He's given us Christ. And so maybe next week I can help you find a church. If you're looking for a place to go be built up and talk about how awesome you are, we'll find that place, but it's probably not going to happen here. Christ is awesome. And that's where we're found. That's where we're hidden. And that's where we want the world to see as awesome is Him. And I want to say all of that because I can assure you that God is much more concerned with settling your heart than he is settling your current situation, your current matters. He's much more concerned with settling your heart right now. He wants you in the place where you're able to say, you know what, I don't know about that, but I know God. He wants you to be in that place where I'm not sure how this is going to play out, but I know who I belong to. I know who my God is. And we opened up this this passage with Naomi looking for rest for Ruth, right? She's searching for, for rest, and the chapter's going to close with this. Wait. The man's not going to rest until he settles the matter. And that's beautiful for us, isn't it? Right? We can rest because there's someone else working on our behalf who has settled the matter, right? Has settled the matter, who's done the work, who has his, his, whose work is acceptable before God on our behalf. And so we can rest knowing that we've been given a Redeemer who has not rested until the matter for each one of us is settled. The matter to be settled wasn't whether or not she was going to have food. That's not what Boaz, that wasn't the matter he was trying to settle. The matter to be settled was whether or not she was going to be redeemed. That was the matter to be settled, and this is the kind of rest that Ruth needs. And let me tell you something. Newsflash, this is the kind of rest that you need. You need that redeeming kind of rest, that rest that knows that, that, that you're reminded of, of the one who has, who has not rested until the matter has been settled for you, the matter of redemption has been settled for you. And it's the kind of rest that we all need, a redeeming kind of rest. And let me tell you something, this rest is only found in Jesus. It's only found in Jesus. We have a story of Ruth going to look for Boaz for redemption, but at the end of the day, Boaz can't redeem her soul. He can redeem her situation. He can give her long-term solution, but this is meant to point us to Jesus, the great redeemer, the one who can redeem us, the one who can settle our matter. And if you're seeking rest in Jesus, you will find it. It is a guarantee that if you if you seek your rest in Jesus Christ, you will find it there. He has sent to you, he has sent to me a redeemer who takes great joy in sacrificing for our salvation. He sent us a gift, a redeemer in that place. And so I want to I ask you this morning, that we don't normally do this a lot, um, but, but I just want to ask you this morning, like, where are you personally? Where are you at? Consider your current situation. Do you come into place? And what we try to do every single 
uh, week as we kind of open up our time is to really just kind of help get everybody settled. Because I know, man, we come tearing around the corner into this place 90 miles an hour. Our hearts aren't settled when we come into this place. And I think, I think it has a lot to do with how awesome we think we are how much we feel like we have control over our situation. And a lot of times when it feels like it's just kind of coming unraveled, that we just try to work hard and, and try to keep it together. And what we, re- what we really miss out on is the fact that we're not trusting in Jesus for this kind of rest. We're not trust- trusting in Jesus to settle this matter for us, whatever we may be in. And so this morning, I, I, I mean, this is a word for all of us for certain, Right? But the, the, the matter of salvation for you, the matter of Christ being your great redeemer, your true and, and right redeemer, do you know him like that? Have you sought after him to settle that matter for you? For those of us who know Christ, who follow him, or we're stumbling through the dark trying to do the best we can at following him, do you need rest today? Like, do you need to be... Do you need to be able to put your hands down? Do you need to be able to kind of lay things down and just kind of rest and remember who he is in you and you who you are in him? So I want to pray over us this morning, and, and I want to just kind of, I know most of you guys know this, but um, every, every Sunday we're in the back of the room uh, for prayer and for um, whatever you might need help from us on as pastors. And so um, I just want to kind of put that out there before you uh, this morning. If, if, that's, if you need uh, just for us to pray over you for whatever matter you might find yourself in this morning, we want to be able to do that for you. Um, if you want to just sit us down and have a, a great conversation with us about how terrible your week has been and, and this, uh, this moment has been helpful to you, we'd love to do that too. But we just want to make ourselves available to you. Uh, and most importantly, we want to make it known that Christ is for you, that he is your great redeemer, that he has done the work to provide the rest for you. And so you can kind of lay all of your, your, your work down. Uh, that, that you're trying to do to try to keep things uh, going in the right direction and try to, uh, you know, make certain of the, the, the right outcome and take steps of faith, be courageous, do the right things, ask God for the right things. So let's pray together. Father, we come to you this morning, and we're so thankful, Lord, uh, of this word. And, Father, we thank you so much that uh, you just continue to pour out grace and, and mercy in this in this moment, and as we walk through this book, Father, I'm just, God, I'm so thankful for your providence. I'm so thankful for your sovereignty and your goodness and your grace. God, you look at each heart, and you know us well. You are, you are greatly acquainted with us, Father, yet you love us. You have continued to pour out your love on us through Christ Jesus. You've continued to give us the gift of the Spirit that we might walk in holiness and in righteousness and, and experience your glory. And so, Father, I pray this morning that this be a time of, uh, God, just remembrance. God, that this be a time of, of just resetting. We see this, this word and we see the, the, the steps that Ruth continues to take that are God, just faithful steps. She doesn't know what's coming next. We thank you that you've given us the story. We know what's gonna, how this is going to unfold. But God, as we think about the courage and the risk that, 
Ruth is willing to take, Father, let that be an encouragement to us. That, Lord, we're not in charge of our outcomes. We're, we're in charge of surrendering our outcomes to you. And so, Father, I'm praying, um, Father, for me, for, the, for those in this room who have a hard time understanding or, or, or accepting the fact that your will for us is good. And God, we heard it earlier that you're working all things for the good of those who love you, who are called according to your purpose and for your glory. And so, Father, I pray that that would be uh, true of us today. Lord, I imagine there's 100,000 matters in this room. And in our families, those who they were acquainted with. And we're all trying to figure out, Father, how to settle it. We're trying to calculate a plan. Or we may very well be walking in a plan that we've calculated, hoping that the outcome is exactly what we intend it to be. Lord, I pray that our hearts be uh, checked this morning as we, as we consider your word, as we consider who you are, who, your character. as we consider your omniscience. And Father, if we have to step away from our toil and our planning and our calculating, Father, would you pour out your spirit and give us power and boldness and courage to be able to do that. We love you, Jesus. We love you for your redemption. We love you because we didn't deserve to be shown the kindness that you've shown us. Thank you for knowing better than us. Thank you for having all the right answers when we had all the wrong ones. Thank you for looking ahead for us and acting in accordance with what you know was going to happen. Even when we don't understand it, even when it hurts, even when it seems like we're in a painful season right now, let us find our rest in you. Let us find our redemption and our salvation in you and in you alone, nothing that we're able to work for or to, to formulate. We love you, Jesus. We ask these things in your name. Amen.